Welcome to the Sabbath School Rescue Podcast with your host, Buster Swoops and Michael Campbell. This week, we begin a new Sabbath School quarterly about how to interpret Scripture. This lesson for Sabbath April 4 is about the uniqueness of the Bible. Let's take a look at how a very special book, really a collection of 66 books composed over 1,500 years, has guided and can inspire our lives. The Sabbath School Rescue Podcast is hosted by Michael Campbell and Buster Swoops at Southwestern Adventist University. We love learning and sharing God's Word, and together we have 18 years of pastoral experience, and now we have the privilege to dig deeper into this study. Okay, so we have a little bit of a different setup here today, making sure we're falling in line with the, uh, uh, I guess you can call social distancing. So, uh, Dr. Campbell's uh, joining us. Michael's joining us from uh, uh, from home, and I'm in my home. But we're really excited about this quarter's lesson, uh, which is all about how to interpret Scripture. And this week's lesson, the unique the uniqueness of the Bible. Well, this is a great opportunity. I'm so excited about this new quarter as well. Uh, the two authors, Frank and Michael Hosel, two leading scholars in our denomination both of whom really have a high regard for Scripture and are going to lead us uh, through this quarterly uh, how to better understand and appreciate the Word of God. Amen. Which leads us into our memory text. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119.105. What a beautiful promise. You know, it's interesting. This last week I've been just reading this biography of Joseph Wolfe and he was just quoting that text in his autobiography, how that was a key, a seminal text that inspired him to share God's Word around the world, and uh, very inspiring. Uh, you know, absolutely, and I love how the Hazels have brought it together and, and helped us realize that the Bible is 66 books written over 1,500 years on three different continents uh, with more than 40 authors. The Bible truly is unique uh, unique, I was going to say a piece of literature, but it's not just literature. It's the actual Word of God. Yeah, and as such, it's both a—we're going to look through this quarter as well as this week and this lesson. It's it's something that is, uh, like, like you just said, Buster, it's not just a piece of literature. It is a historical document, but it is God's living Word, which is what this text in the psalm is talking about. It's both an ancient document, but it's a living document that speaks to you and me today. Absolutely. Speaking of the living word, that's the actual title of Sunday's lesson, which is the living word of God. And it starts us off with Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 45 through 47. Michael, would you, would you mind sharing with us? Sure. Deuteronomy chapter 32. We're doing this a little bit differently, as you mentioned, as our listeners are trying to do this uh, uh, with a little bit of distance. So we're doing this uh, differently than before. So it takes us a, a little bit more uh, challenge to, to work things out. But I'm excited that we can continue this podcast. Uh, beginning with verse 45, Deuteronomy chapter 32, it says, When Moses finished re- uh Uh, finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he told them, set your mind on all these words. I'm testifying against you right now because you must command your children 
to perform carefully all the words of this instruction. And this is no trivial matter for you. This is your very life. It is by this means alone that you will prolong your life on the fertile land you were crossing the Jordan River to possess. In other words, I think Moses is trying to say, hey, take this seriously. This is significant. This is beautiful. I, I, I love the original language here as well when he's talking about set your mind, set your heart. Some uh, versions will say it's the word lavav, which is your, set your courage. And when he's telling them to, to, to command it to your children, he's telling them to charge it to them and that this is not futile. This is not trivial, meaning that this is not empty. This is not rake. Uh, this is full of something that if you apply it to your life, you will extend your life. You know, it's just beautiful, all those words. Yeah. You know, as I was continuing to to read and go through this and looking at what Moses was sharing there and how it ties in to us today. And that's what I really appreciate about this lesson is how uh, they are not only saying, look at the past of it, but look at the application that we can actually apply to our lives today. And Michael, I was uh, telling you this look down here at uh, John chapter 14, verse six. Would you mind sharing us with us there as well? Sure, absolutely. John chapter 14, verse 6. I just lost my spot, so I'm trying to grab that really quick. You know, while I'm, I'm pulling that up, it just reminds me that uh, one of the biggest challenges um, goes right to the heart of what this lesson is all about. We're talking about the, the historical reliability of the Word of God and that there have been critics who have tried to challenge that through the centuries and tried to undermine Scripture, but yet God provides significant evidence that God's Word is reliable. And the most significant evidence is found in this passage here in John chapter 14, verse 6. And Jesus is answering, and a conversation going on, he says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, what Jesus is saying here, he is the living word of God personified. Yes, 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 yes. And it ties in beautifully with John 1, which is in the beginning was was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And later in verse 14, it says, and the word was full of grace and truth. So all of this coming together, he is the access to the father. He is the living word, which proves and shows that. Scripture is actually centered around Jesus Christ. You know, we're kind of getting at the crux of it, because if Scripture is centered at Jesus, I think that's part of the reason why some people have tried so hard to undermine Scripture. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, You know, Go ahead, Michael. It reminds me of uh, uh, my origin of the Bible class that I teach, and I actually have a whole section where I go through various critics who've tried to— um, one of the examples I have is 1921, uh, Frederick uh, Delish, uh, who argued that the biblical text had been subjected, and I'm quoting, to a high degree of corruption beyond our wildest imagination. So all of these you know, different critical scholars— They've tried to point arrows at the Word of God and say, you know, it's not actually reliable. Because I think part of that is they realize that if uh, you can somehow undermine the Bible as the living Word of God, 
you are undermining Jesus Christ and the story of redemption, the story of salvation. Well, and we see that there's one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ, which is there's one way through eternal life. There's one way through salvation, as we just put it. And if you can undermine it, you kind of set yourself free to do whatever you want to do. But I think the world is quickly realizing that doesn't pay off. Exactly. Well, we're kind of getting right at the the heart of the lesson of why God's Word actually uh, really matters and why it makes a difference. And and that kind of provides a nice segue, I think, into to Monday's lesson, how the Bible uh, came about, who wrote it, where did all this take place? You know, it does. And so we're looking there, it has asked us to follow some of the text about some of the biblical writers. And I just wrote down a few of these here. Uh, Exodus mm-hmm. 2.10 is, of course, talking about there about... Um, uh, uh, the prophets, but also Amos seven fourteen. Uh, we see here that Amos was saying, "I'm just a sheep herder. Like, who am I?" Right? Uh, Jeremiah very puts it in the same same wording. Matthew talks about Matthew being a tax collector. All these different things. We see that these are just regular men that God has called to go ahead and write the word of God. You know what a what a beautiful reminder here that God. You know, it's partially the miracle of the incarnation through Jesus Christ, where Jesus becomes flesh, which you just referred to, that beautiful hymn at the beginning of the Gospel of John. But also the very, what we're dealing with here is what we call revelation, this concept of how God reveals himself. uh, And it's both through the living word of Jesus Christ, but then also that God has communicated the message of salvation through ordinary human beings, that God is you know, through prophets and through various other uh, figures that God has inspired, he has communicated a message into human language. And so there's this element of translation that God communicates something that is really, really important that we need to understand. And I like what you said, you know, how these are ordinary people, uh, but they were willing to be used by God. You know, and I appreciate you saying that because, uh, uh, the authors of this lesson also brought out something very important that I highlighted, which is many of the writers were eyewitnesses of events that they recounted. And you just think about the span of time that the Bible is written, that 1500 year, uh, that 1500 year uh, time frame. And these men that saw these things, they wrote them down and they're saying, I saw this with my own eyes. Uh, now, hopefully you can see these scenes as well, recognizing the goal of salvation God had throughout Earth's history. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. Across different cultures, across different time periods, and even different personalities, we see different styles of writing that people have used in their writing. You know, the book of, even within a, a book like Psalms, which are these beautiful uh, compositions meant to be sung, um, there's some are written by David, some are written by other people, and some we don't even know who wrote them. But yet we see through different ways and different uh, interactions that God has worked through human lives to communicate a very important message. And and that is uh, that God loves us and the, the message of redemption. It's so true, which also talks about the lesson of, of, of redemption. Tuesday lessons talking about the Bible as prophecy. 
And I just wrote down a few of these. It says, how do the following texts reveal the details of the coming Messiah? Well, Genesis 49, 8 through 12 talks about the Lion of Judah, who is the Messiah is going to come. Uh, Psalms 22, verses 12 through 18. We referenced this uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Michael, where we talked about how they were talking about dividing the garments of, of Jesus, and yet no bones uh-huh. were broken, and yet you know his, his yeah. joints were out of place. The crucifixion as well, talking about by his stripes we are healed in Isaiah 53. Daniel 9, talking about the 70-week uh, the prophecy and the Messiah being cut off. Bethlehem was predicted that that's where Jesus was going to be born. John the Baptist coming in John uh, uh, John one twenty three confirms Malachi 3.1. And on the last but not least, Jesus' uh, triumph, triumphal entry uh, on the donkey, which is also fulfilled in Matthew chapter 21. Yeah, well, all of those, again, are pointing to, and there's so many other references that we could also point to yes. from the Old Testament that are God's prophetic word showing forth that his word is reliable and that it is true. Yes, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the uh, authors said that there is at least 65 direct messianic predictions that were that have been fulfilled that we can look and say they said this was going to happen many years before it happened. And then it actually came to fulfillment, which gives us the ability to trust what happened uh, in the past was also going to come current with the current prophecies that we have. Love it. I love it. Yeah. You know, I, I can't help but. You know, this last week, while we've been kind of in self-isolation, I know a lot of people are staying at home. There's a lot of uh, local city and county and state uh, governments that are putting increasing restrictions, trying to uh, combat or slow down this coronavirus, this COVID-19. And so I've had a little bit more time at home with my family, which has been uh, really good in many ways. I've enjoyed that, although a few times I know we've all felt just a bit stir-crazy. You have to go on <laughs> extra walks, and so that's also been good because we're getting more exercise right now, uh, but it's also given me a little more time for reflection. I thought I want to do something fun, read a book that I've been wanting to read, just haven't had time to do it, and so I've been reading The Travels and Adventures of Joseph Wolf, published in 1860. Those of you that are listening, you may be familiar with the story of Joseph Wolf. Ellen White has a whole chapter in Great Controversy about him. And he was this Jew in Europe about the same time as William Miller and other uh, people as they were studying the Word of God uh, and, and came to similar convictions through Bible prophecy. Now, what makes Joseph Wolf really just phenomenal to me, he was a Jew, hair barber, when he went to get his hair cut, challenged him to read Isaiah 53, Mm. and as a result of that, came to the conviction that if the Bible can reliably predict what's going to happen as a suffering Messiah, which was fulfilled in Jesus, he would become a Christian. And again and again, he keeps coming back and using the Word of God as his authority, and as a result, he had the most incredible life going from various countries and cultures he continues studying the Word of God and comes to the conviction that Christ is coming again soon, like many others. But it was this text, Isaiah 53, that was what really was a seminal text that got him started on his uh, conversion to Christianity. And he later becomes a missionary to the Jews, and his text that he would always come to would be Isaiah 53. Read that. He had challenged his Jewish brothers and sisters, read that passage what an apt description of who Jesus is and his, his coming. 
uh, to this earth the first time. Yes, just beautiful. And I challenge all the readers to do the same. It makes me uh, want to go back and read the entire chapter of Isaiah 53. But I challenge you, those of you at home, please open up Isaiah 53 and challenge your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones to do the exact same as well. Read Isaiah chapter 53. You know, so speaking about Bible's prophecy, there's also this uh, this segment of talking about the Bible as history and talking about the beauty of it being historically accurate. And uh, Michael, I asked earlier that you read First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 5. And as you're turning there, once again, this is a glimpse into the beauty of the Bible being historically accurate. All right, I've got it ready. Okay. I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in line with the Scriptures. He was buried, and he rose on the third day in line with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500, and it goes on to describe uh, all those who saw Jesus after he was resurrected. You know, it asks us a very important lesson here because it doesn't just talk about the history. It talks about the history of the resurrection. It says, what do these passages teach us about not only the historical truth of Christ's resurrection, but also what it means for us personally? And Mm. what thing gives us more hope than the act of overcoming death in the midst of where we're hearing of so many people that are passing away? Well, you know, this is so beautiful because it just shows that Jesus has power over death itself, and that he in his own life, through his sacrifice on the cross, um, that God was able to raise him up again. You know, it, and not only raise him up, but it gives us the courage as some of these uh, further texts, Romans eight eleven and First Thessalonians four fourteen, tell us that we have the chance to be resurrected as well. Uh, I think of Lazarus, who was raised from the dead as well, and all the eyewitnesses that were there, and yet half of them were amazed and half of them start plotting the death of Christ, right? Yeah. Well, I, I want to try to make this a little bit more practical, because right now we've got the COVID-19. A lot of people are really, really scared. Yes. And yesterday I had a good friend of mine that posted on social media that they were driving. Um, I don't think they were quite in as restricted an area where we are. We're supposed to stay at home and anyways they were out and and they witnessed a car accident and as they saw that accident the the person uh literally um had stopped breathing and so they ran up to the scene as quickly as they could uh they had a young person i think it's a teenager that was trying to do cpr but didn't really know how to do it and and it was interesting because there's all these people that were around them but they were afraid to actually help because what if this person had the COVID-19 and they, they realized, you know, I, I can't worry about that. I have to worry about saving this person's life. If I don't give them CPR right now, they're going to die. And, and what I, I'm not saying that you shouldn't use some common sense and be careful and take some precautions. And there's good ways to do that um, to help uh, mitigate those exposures and things like that. But what I love is that when we have Jesus at the center of our lives, um, yes, we need to be use good common sense and be careful, but we don't have to live in fear. And I like how this person was able to literally save this person's life. Um, and, and, and in a way, spiritually, um, we're, we've been in this sin problem, and, and Jesus was willing to come and rescue us 
um, and, and we have God's love in our heart, it literally takes away the paralysis of fear, that fear of death that, that people may experience. And we, again, we want to be careful and use common sense, but, but uh, that paralysis, that fear, uh, we know that there's something better out there and, and, and we can be willing to serve and put others before ourselves. Yes. And, and Michael, I thank you so much for putting that, uh, that word precaution in there because the, the thing is faith and precaution can coexist. Yes, we walk by faith, but we also are cautious, but we're not fearful uh, because we have that faith, right? And so there's this balance there. And I appreciate you sharing that real life lesson because we need those. We need those stories of hope, but also trusting mm-hmm. in the blessed hope that is in Jesus Christ. And there's one other thing I want to bring out. You know, this on Wednesday's lesson, it talks about the Bible as history. One of the interesting things about history is that we tend to only want to tell stories that are good about ourselves. That's what social media is really good at, right? Is, is we like to tell all the, the good things that are happening. It's, it's not as when we're having a bad day, it's, it's more difficult to want to share when things are, we have setbacks and things like that. But the Bible records the history of men and women's lives as they have interacted with God, whether it's ancient Israel or the apostle Paul or or whatever, and these different circumstances. God records the good and the bad. Sometimes, yes, He does. And so, this is a different kind of history that we see, and and I think that's significant. And the other thing that's uh, interesting is that over time, as critics have said, well, we don't know that this really happened. Uh, we just have had so much amazing archaeological evidence, especially over the last couple of decades, that again and again, where critics have said, oh, we're not so sure that that's reliable or. Uh, where people have been able to say, actually, you know, there's good archaeological, there's good historical evidence that supports um, these various things where people, critics, have questioned the historicity of Scripture. You know, the historicity is so important to hold on to, to grasp onto, and if you're not confident in sharing your belief in the historicity of the Bible, I challenge you to go study to where your faith cannot be shaken. Because I don't know about you, Michael, if anyone comes to me and says the Bible's not historically accurate, I have so many things in my, I, I guess you can say, arsenal <laughs> that I can throw back at them because I've studied, I've seen it for myself, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that His Word is living, yeah. that you're not going to be able to shake me on that. Uh, there, But there's so many Christians walking around who don't know what they believe, and they don't know why they believe what they believe. And by the way, and this gives us an opportunity to interact with our listeners because we're talking about doing uh, a bonus, right, Buster? Yes. Uh, we're talking about doing uh, something with Facebook Live where you guys will be able to text in some questions or we got, we are live with you and we'll be able to answer those for you. Yeah, so send us in questions that you may have. You can uh, check it, check us out or contact us through uh, the SabbathSchoolRescue.org website. Uh, and we're going to, again, this coming Sabbath at 10 o'clock Central Time, we're planning to do a Facebook Live event where we can um, interact with you and the Sabbath School lesson. So if you have questions, uh, join us, and we would love to have you on Sabbath morning uh, while you're at home and looking at different options to stay connected with uh, your own church family. But we want to have an opportunity to have an interactive Sabbath School experience where uh, we'll walk through the lesson, and if you have questions, don't don't hesitate to to reach out and let us know what questions about the Bible that you may have. 
Yeah, and we'll we'll love to hear those. So that'll be Saturday, April four. We'll be we'll be ready to take those questions. So that leads us to our last uh, lesson. We're gonna, uh, part of the lesson we're going to look at today, Michael, which is Thursday's the transforming power of the word. We just talked about how people need to be transformed or they need to grasp the word of God themselves so they can receive that transformation. And I'll go briefly Amen. over what Second Kings chapter twenty two three to twenty is talking about. Josiah, who was the child king, known as, he came to power when he was only eight years old. But somewhere in his uh, in his reign, uh, I'm going to read here verse uh, two, uh, 22, verse 11. says, when Josiah heard what was in the book of God's law, he tore his clothes in sorrow. Uh, there's a priest, Hilkiah, who found the, the word of God and shared what was in it. And, and Josiah was moved about it. And they took it to Huldah. And she, uh, uh, being a prophetess, actually shared with them what they should do about it, of following the word of God. And it said that as a result of that, they were blessed uh, for Josiah's reign. He was considered one of the best kings because they actually followed what was in the word of God. It's a beautiful story. Once again, we challenge you to read it for yourselves. Second Kings chapter 22. Absolutely. And to experience, you know, take that experience from Josiah and look at your own life and say, you know, Whatever you challenges you may be facing and struggles, you know, God, I want to be real with you. I, I, and I want to make a commitment to, to read the living word of God and apply it to my life. And whatever situation you're going through, challenge God to give you guidance through his living word. You know, Michael, uh, we talked about uh, there in the last portion some of our favorite texts, one of my favorite texts that's down there is John 17, 17, which is sanctify them by truth. Thy word is truth. And uh, one of the lessons I like to teach is the most devastating book of the Bible. It's not Revelation. It's not Genesis. It's not uh, Song of, uh, it's not a, it's not Ecclesiastes, uh, who Solomon wrote that. But it's actually the book of second opinions. When we add our opinions to the Bible, it becomes <laughs> devastating. We need to read the word yeah. of God for ourselves, which is the yeah. unadulterated truth. Yeah, it's just like, you know, eating. You can't have someone else eat for you. You actually have to eat for yourself. And you can't really appreciate, you can't live a genuine Christian experience through someone else uh, reading the word of God. You actually have to have that own individual personal experience and it doesn't happen unless you actually take that time to read and experience and through the holy spirit you know ask god to you know lord open my heart make me teachable help me to learn what you have to teach me in your word which by the way leads us to this uh, my favorite of the different texts that were listed on thursday there uh, is romans chapter 12 verse 2 it says don't be conformed to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can figure out God, what God's will is, what is good Amen. and pleasing and mature. And what, one of the things I like about this text is, is it talks about the renewing of our minds. God doesn't ask us to blindly follow him. He is a reasonable God through his word, gives us evidence upon which we can base our faith. If we will study and, and open our hearts and minds and, and through the reading of God's word. And I can testify just as you've been talking about that when I have done that, that especially at critical junctures, I look back in my life that God has been able to reveal himself and in a very real and meaningful way, I've seen my own life transformed, not, not because of me, but because of God's word. And I'm with you there a hundred percent. I've experienced it myself. When you allow the word of God to speak into your life and not just what 
you want to change about others, but what God wants to change in your own heart, there's power that comes from that. And so we once again encourage you throughout this entire quarter, make sure you're not just reading about the word, make sure you're actually reading the word of God with us. In my notes for my class that I teach on, I feel like I'm, you know, this is origin of the Bible class, this class that I teach at Southwestern Adventist University. I summarize it down to four points that I think kind of bring this whole lesson together, that the Bible's own unique claims. Now, they've put it a little bit differently in this Sabbath school lesson this week, but, but I, I boiled it down to four points that I use with my, uh, with my class. Number one, that the Bible claims to be the Word of God. Number two, that the Bible claims to record God's hand in history. This is this historicity that we talked about. Third, that the Bible claims to predict the future. And then fourth, the Bible claims to impart wisdom and understanding. Amen. You know, I think that's a great summarization. And hopefully this uh, uh, this springboards us to the rest of the quarter that just inspires us once again to get into that word. Well, speaking of that, uh, maybe we should just remind our listeners uh, what's what's happening this uh, April 4th on Saturday again. Yeah, we're going to have that Facebook Live option where you guys can interact with us, and it'll be on at 10 o'clock. Uh, that'll be Central Time, so it's not too early or too late for those on the East or West Coast. Uh, join us, and we're looking forward to, to seeing you all there. All right. Well, again, I think for uh, the first lesson of a new quarter, this is uh, Soup. And Swoops signing out. Signing out. See you next week. As we put a wrap on this week's lesson, this is Campbell Swoops signing off. By the way, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Southwestern Union of Seventh-day Adventists and Southwestern Adventist University, which has for over 125 years provided a Christ-centered education just 20 minutes south of Fort Worth, Texas. We love teaching with personal colleagues, offer quality academics, and provide numerous ways to get involved both on campus and across the globe. To learn more, visit swahu.edu or check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Also, be sure to join us again next week as we continue to explore God's Word. You can make sure not to miss an episode by joining us at sabbathschoolrescue.org.